0: Welcome, Welcome to uh, this to class on understanding the Feast of Trumpets. And, um, of course, you know, the, uh, that encompasses are uh, really uh, about the timing of the second coming of Christ. For those that are believers, they believe that Jesus is actually coming back. He's not just left us here. So... Uh, when he does come back, though, he's he's really not coming back as a high priest or a prophet or a teacher. He's coming back as a king slash bridegroom. And if you read the New Testament through and through in the parable, you're going to see a lot of things about wedding and the bridegroom and, the, you know, we all have heard the bride of Christ and these concepts that are in there that, you know, that the, the essence of the whole thing is set in that uh, type of language. And I think that as we study uh, Rosh Hashanah, or what is called the Feast of Trumpets, or the blowing of the trumpets, uh, you, you have to really study it in parallel to the concept of the an ancient Jewish wedding which, you know, if you don't know anything about that, you're going to learn something about it because it actually is part of the pattern that, you know, goes into understanding uh, the entire second coming. So, um, you know, we all know that when Jesus returns, we would hear about judgment and tribulation and all this bad stuff, but in reality, the other side of the coin is the wedding and the marriage of, of the groom and the, and the bride. And so... Um, uh, you know, you have to really take that into consideration. That the other thing is, is you really have to consider the idea of kingship. So, you know, uh, and we all know that you know when he returns, he's returning as a king over all the earth. So, um, but the kingship and the marriage and all of that kind of interwoven into the same concept, but you may not realize that until you see certain things pointed out in it. So, you know, um, we've just come through the high holy days, right? And the high holy days are... How high? (laughs) Rosh Hashanah, you know, followed by Yom Kippur and then the Feast of Tabernacle, bang, bang, bang. And so, you know... uh, we know that these fall festivals or we believe that, that it's evident that you can prove through scripture that these fall festivals deal primarily with the second coming of Christ, whereas the spring deals with the first coming of Christ. And so part of that is, uh, you know, what we're talking about. And, and we'll kind of go overview some of the festivals, you know, just to make the point for maybe those that, you know, don't know. Now, The one thing that in in studying these things, if you look at Rosh Hashanah or you you look at Yom Kippur or the Feast of Tabernacle, the services or the ceremonies that they do within the temple or they perform within the temple were actually prophetic and they were um, of the nature, there's a spiritual truth that lies in all of them that really was about that which would come. You know, even though they were doing it and re and and, and going through the rehearsal of doing these ceremonies on every festival, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's the spring or the or the fall. These ceremonies are really important for pulling out, you know, what I call, you know, pure truth in what's going on in the uh, second coming and what I call the divine order. You know, now I believe in a divine order that that you know there's a Actual order of events that are taking place, and these festivals are helping you to place them, you know, in the proper order. That, that, that you know, you, you're going to hear a lot of stuff, and uh, and, and er, you can go online and read a lot of stuff and listen to a lot of stuff, and everybody has their own um, viewpoint of how these things. But if they're not using, to me, the festivals, you know, as a as a guideline. You know, for the events, they're going to get it all tangled up, and then we're going to end up all. T- and we're going to look at one specific one that, you know, that you know, you're going to see out there if you if you look into that type of thing. You know, yeah, uh, I know that as a church uh, doctrine, in a lot of circles, uh, it's always been taught that, you know, um, the imminent return of Christ, that Christ could come today. Tonight, and I'm not asking y'all if you believe in that I'm just going to tell you I do not believe in that. The only way I'm going to see Jesus is if I die today myself, and I hope I get to see him at least in spirit <laughs> but you know but I believe there's a a reap because we have we have things in little phrases of for example when you if you if you ever try to spread this word you know amongst people that I kind of consider to be they're not really very knowledgeable about the Bible or the Word of God. So when you make any kind of statement like uh, the their return or if they have some knowledge, will say, "Well, I you know no man knows the hour and the day," and they always say that. So when you make this specific statement that Jesus is going to return, you know on a festival like Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur they immediately want to say, you know, no, no that's, not, that's not church doctrine, and therefore their ears get plugged real loud, and, and they can't hear you anymore, you know, in most cases, you know. And they don't look any further. You know, that's kind of my experience. I even have someone in particular in mind that I've been around for 20 years that, (laughs) you know, I made a statement the other day, he was talking about something, I said, well, all this craziness that's going on out here around us, you know, the mask and the virus and the election and all of these things, you know, and I said, well, it may be that we're not even gonna have to worry about this in another year. And, you know, he knows what I'm talking about. And he made the statement, yeah, well, I heard that about fifteen years ago, and uh I guess I'm not really that listening to that today, so you know that that's what happens you know when you know i don't you know for the last thirty years, there's been a lot of benchmark uh, dates if you go back through uh nineteen eighty eight nineteen ninety three you know two thousand 2007 you can just about march up the line and people coming out and stating you know well this is it this is it you know and I always say well if you believe that no man hour knows the hour of the day it could be right right because you don't know you know Well, huh? they look at you like what are you proving this wrong or right <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well you're you're leaving it up to the point that no man knows, so it could be that it's next year, right? right? So that being said, you know, um I believe there there are two other possibilities or explanations in dealing with the no man knows the hour in the day that fits right into our whole theme of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and it actually is a phrase that is uh understood uh, when you hear it from that perspective you may go oh well maybe there is a possibility that was part of that rather than just the idea of well no man knows the hour of the day because that's pretty plain when you say it like that that's like well no man knows so you know not even the angel only the father which might be a clue in and of itself so let's turn over and let's let's read of. Uh, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4 because what we're going to do is try to look at a few things up front before we get into this to uh, help us to kind of gain a narrative that people also really don't catch on to on certain phrases. Let's see where I want you to Start here. Let's start here in um, in verse thirteen, and, and I know y'all read this a th- probably a hundred times, at least I hope, maybe a two hundred. Robert, maybe three hundred. Yeah, First Thessalonians four thirteen. And we're going to highlight a few things here. So it says, "Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep." Well, you know, we should know that the term fall asleep is someone that's passed away. You know, they're already in the ground, but they're not dead. They're just asleep. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Okay? In other words, they're... You know, they're going to come back. In other words, to me, what that's saying, his spirit, because you can place that in another place where he says he's bringing the souls with him to unite with the body, because there's going to be a resurrection and there's going to be a body and a soul reconnected. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, we'd have to say those that are living, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of the call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever, and therefore encourage each other with these words. So here it's plain to see for those who believe there is what we call a rapture. And I keep telling people that fifty percent of the people that, um, and I've lo- I've, I've, I've kind of made it a little larger, do not believe that a rapture is a is a doctrine of the church, and they believe it's a false doctrine of hope. I mean, I, I you know, I, if you can go do your own research, but most people do not believe that that the, the rapture is a true doctrine. Good teachers, people that believe in all kinds of ways. You know, they just don't believe the evidence is there. And that's because the confusion of all of these things we're going to study makes them say, well, right there. And we'll look at one particularly, I hope, tonight. So, so we see the, the order. You know, dead first and those left alive are caught up to what? meeting in the clouds all dead or just the ones we're not going to get into all dead <laughs> hypothetical things we're not going to deal with tonight but uh, <laughs> we know they're dead in Christ right now whatever that means means they're going to be raised from the dead so notice verse 5 right it says now brothers about times and dates it could say times and seasons
1: this still in Thessalonians. Yeah, chapter, uh-huh. five. chapter five. five. Yeah, oh, chapter five,
0: notice chapter what five, it five. says. We do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord. And see here, I think they do us a disservice by the fact that they did not capitalize day. They made it seem like the day of the Lord, or the that is capital. well. There you go. See, somebody said, well, maybe we should capitalize it. <laughs> And it, and, it, and it goes on to say that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. People, and while people are saying peace and safety, are we saying that today? Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Of course, the language there throughout all of the Bible, when a woman in, is in labor pains and pregnant like that, we're, we're talking about tribulation. So that 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 language is through the Bible that you know a woman in labor is going to deal with the concept of the tribulation and specifically what the Jews would call Jacob's trouble, in other words, that seven year period that we call tri- seven years of tribulation is uh, is, is at the beginning of this process that's taking place. Okay, so but notice what verse four says: "But you, Lisa, brothers." are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. They all want to never read that verse. They always want to say that, well, you know, uh, Jesus come like a thief in the night. Nobody's going to know when he's coming. But it says right here that it should not, if you are a child of God, and I, I put in there, even if you are a child of God and you're, and you didn't do your homework, then, yeah, you may still be caught in a situation where you may not be doing what you've been told to do, which is to watch. And you're being told to watch from the beginning in the sense of the word, but you're being also told here that, that it's not going to surprise you. Well, how can that be if no man knows the day or the hour? It kind of doesn't make sense there, you know. So it's not going to surprise us, but we don't know when. Well, that would mean it would surprise us in some logic, but, you know, that that becomes clear as we keep going. It says, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day, and we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. In other words, we, if we, and I believe wholeheartedly that the, the weakness of the church is real simple. They don't know anything about the word of God. They believe, but th- that, that which would instruct them to actually understand what we're talking about, they have no knowledge of. So obviously, they're asleep. It doesn't say they're not in Christ. It just says they're not alert, and they're not really hearing the words, you know, to where they would be instructed in these things. And then, you know, you know when you go to look at the flip side of everybody that's real awake, you know they got a thousand different ways to explain this and now you are left like me and everybody else is to try to discern well what is the truth and and really that's what this this course is about that that you know when we get through with this that you know you're going to see specific things that are being referred to and they're going to involve all of the feasts in the festivals especially uh, uh rosh hashanah which we call the Feast of Trumpets, you know, nobly, but also the fact that it is a Yom Kippur, because that's the time frame. You know, when you look at the Feast of Tabernacle, that is the celebration. You know, that's when all the big party starts.
1: Our neighbor across the street, he's Jewish, mm-hmm. and looked out the door that one day, and there was balloons all over the door, and it stayed there for all kind of decorate, decorative blue, you know, white and blue balloons, but they were all in his front door. And I don't know if he had a booth built in the
0: back, but... You know. Yeah, well, and they uh, and it, they may it, it be... Was part
1: of his celebration yeah. in, in, in whatever form. Huh? Yeah. Well, why would it be there?
0: And it, it Maybe just join right a Republican that? Party. <laughs> no, <laughs> He
1: might have been having a gathering and that's why he's letting people know this is the White
0: house. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And, and and see the thing about it is from a Jewish perspective, you know, Rosh Hashanah and the time in between in Yom Kippur are the they're they're called solemn feast. In other words, they're they're in a sense, they're not a time of uh what you call great celebration. They're a time of actually fasting and repentance and return and you know uh and going in and making peace with your mother and your brother and and so forth and so on that that you know that you would start a new year and go into and then once of course you've done proper you know with the idea behind uh yom kippur and a jewish synagogue then you know then they go into the five days later into the celebration of the feast of tabernacle which you know has its own connotations of you know that which is before, but also that which is in the future too. So, but what I want to highlight here in in the, this verse here that you should take note because it's a major phrase in all of the biblical texts is the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord come becomes a specific time in the calendar, and we it's so it's so important. That we get it very uh, uh, quick in the beginning of the book. And when is that? <laughs> the day of judgment. Well, in the beginning of Genesis, how do we learn about what? The, the day of the Lord. The seventh, the seventh day. Mm-hmm. So you have creation, you have six days shall man work, but on the seventh day, God rested from his works, and therefore that concept right there from that time forward is, and yes, it's going to come out as Moses and so forth brings forth the revelation from God, you're going to begin to see that the seventh day is throughout the Bible. It's going to be tied to, uh, it's going to be tied to the counting of days for the festivals, it's going to be tied to the jubilee. It's going to be tied to everything that you're going to begin to see. You know, you if you, uh, I mean, a lot of people in our classes, I'm sure, you know, have heard of Jonathan Kahn. right? Jonathan Kahn. Harbinger. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, and the return. You know, he had the thing in Washington D.C. long ago, and the, he wrote the book Shemitah, which is really dealing with the sabbatical year, and. All that simply means is the fact that you, you you think about it like this. I always say, well, this is so important that God kind of made it up for dummies. You know, you got six days, and then the seventh you rest. And then you got six years, and on the seventh year, you the, the land rest. Yeah. And, and then you got seven times 70, which is the sabbatical years in the counting of the Jubilee, where the 50th year becomes both the 49th and 50th year become a year of rest. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's an important concept. So when we seven get. Seven weeks before the Spirit, after um, Passover,
1: and it's seven weeks?
0: Yeah, well, the counting of the days to go to. to, the, all to, the to, to yeah, to Pentecost. Yeah. But not losing the idea that the seventh day and this whole concept of sabbath is a really picture of what's coming even though it's a rest it's also prophetic in its nature that that you know there there's the teaching uh, that's out there in the book of barnabas which is an extra biblical book you can read about it in encyclopedia judaica and jewish encyclopedia It's common knowledge among Jewish people that there's the idea that God will uh, have creation will uh, and time will be tied to each day of creation being a thousand years. And once we do 6,000 years from the time of Adam, we're going to enter into the seventh millennium. And that's not real hard to prove when you look over in Revelations and you see that, and they were raised uh, to life and they reign with Christ for a thousand years, and we see that concept that the thousand years after His second coming is the seventh millennium. Is that ever called the Day of the Lord? Yes, the whole and so and so you would have the Day of the Lord being the seventh day after the week. But the day of the Lord in context to Amos, which we'll look at a little bit, you know, is going to be a period of time. So you can say that the seventh day is going to be this uh, this 1,000-year period and which, uh, after we complete the 6,000-year period, you know, that we will enter into an age where we read about all these other things and the lamb lines down with the line and the natures of change, and you know all of a sudden there's an a, a coming age that is actually being changed. you know that the things are not going to be like they were there there's going to be a real change in, uh, uh, in even in the physical laws of nature, and that's going to be what we call in this present world and i I, I say those terms because. You can't get lost in what I call the world to come because you don't get to the world to come until you go through this whole thousand years here at the end of the book and then the end shall come. So when people say, "Were well, you talking about the end of the world coming into a No. <laughs> I'm not talking about the end of the world, but I am talking about a change that God has foreordained that he's going to bring into the world, and he's going to have a, uh, always say, that just like in the Sabbath, you know, if you look at it look for what it represents, there's going to be a period of time where, and, and we're, we have this backed up in scriptures, that man's not going to make war anymore for this period of time. There's going to be a time of peace that God promised from the very beginning, And it's going to be in this present world. Certainly we're going to have peace and harmony and all that in the world to come. But in the present world, these promises still are yet to be fulfilled as God has foreordained them. And we as believers should all know that, right? That's what we're hoping for, right? Sure we are. So uh, the book of Amos, you know, just to kind of give you the idea behind it, you know, it starts out for the day of the Lord, you know, don't be so quick to want the day of the Lord because the day of the Lord's going to be a day of darkness and gloom and so forth and so on, right? He paints a picture because why would he paint that picture? Because the day of the Lord is going to have a period of time where he is going to judge the world. There's going to be a judgment and as you study Rosh Hashanah, and you could go and look it up on your computers on Jewish Encyclopedia, you could go and read the article. You could put in there and then say Jewish Encyclopedia search Day of Judgment, boom, and you can click on that and you can read what the Jewish rabbis over the years and ages have believed and the terms of what the Day of the Lord and the Day of Judgment and those things actually represent. So they know that Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets is a time of judgment. And I think that we focus on that. We don't focus on the the wedding and the marriage and you know, we focus on it's gonna be a bad day. And that's what we're all worried about. <laughs> you know, we're worried about well it was here, it sure looked like it's getting here faster. <laughs> you know, we're worried about those people that on the other side over there, you know. But but in all reality, we should not be uh, in fear, you know, about those things because we know God is in control, right? And then there, there are the other people that teach about this that are on the kind of the other side of the camp that would tell you, they're get, you're getting false hope. You're sitting on your hands. You're not doing anything, Charles, because you know you're not going to be here. You're getting out early and you, they'll, they'll have to deal with that. I'm, I'm on my way out. And they think that's false hope, that you're actually going to go through what we call the tribulation and you're going to be, be caught like a thief in the night because you didn't think you were going to do it there's the opposite that's a, that's kind of like our you know our arguments in uh democrat republicans just you know, like that's not what he said <laughs> you know, but that's what you know that's the other side of the coin they they that's out there and there are fine people that you know believe like that we just i just don't believe they're right so that being the case i want you to go over to Malachi 4 which is in uh, our Bible the last book in the Old Testament and you know um, you know, I, and everybody there okay you know even in chapter 3 my heading in the NIV is day of judgment which is added by man but they add it because of the things that are you know they're reading there and then, you know, over here in uh, chapter 4, you know, my little heading up there goes, the day of the Lord. And, you know, if you just think about it in terms of, you know, and, and I hate to say it like this, but, you know, we, we've been kind of brainwashed into the idea where well, Jesus rose from the dead on, on the first day of the week, and, and, and that's the day of the Lord, that he rose from the grave. And so we lose a lot of impact on what the day of the Lord, the depth of this whole phrase means really in the prophetic word. So let's let's look here. It says, surely the day, and they don't even call it the day of the Lord. They just say, you're supposed to know that. We're talking about this day, the day of the Lord is coming and it will burn like a furnace and all the arrogant and evil do- doers will be stubble and that day that is coming will set them on fire. That seems pretty critical, doesn't it? <laughs> they're probably Antifa, Black Lives Matter, you know, all of these groups that are setting places on fire. So not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And we've spoken about that verse many times. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. And that was always one of those little, you know, phrases that, you know what does that mean, and 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 you have to understand it in the language of the festivals because, you know, it it's a way of saying that, and there are other places. Remember where the good shepherd the 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 sheep are all pinned up, and they go out through the gate, and they go out into the field. And what happens when you 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 uh, corral up some uh, I guess calves or whatever and they're all got that nervous energy, and they open the gate, and they are all going out, what do they do? Not hard. Run, jump, kick, kick your feet out, you know, because they're going out, and it's really referring, it's kind of a double thing, because see, uh, uh, it, it's dealing with their temporary structures. Where did you say that? <laughs> you know? Don't throw me off, honey. Because <laughs> says, and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Yeah, that's right. And I'm already there. Yeah, you're, you're there, honey. So, you know, so the point is, is it's really in referring, you know, there are other verses, but they're actually going to go out. See, on one hand, you're going to have judgment. And all that is really against God, in a sense of the word, is going to be judged, and they're going to become you know, burn up in a sense of the word, you know, fire, It's not going to be good. But on the other hand, those who revere his name, they're going out and they're going out like fat calves and they're going to be joyful and kick their heels and run out into the open field. And really that's kind of the idea behind the Feast of Tabernacle. And there's other things that would uh, enlighten that to you, but we'll, we'll look at that down the road. We won't get Talk there. Then you will trample down the wicked and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things says the Lord Almighty. Now verse 4 he says remember the law and I'm sure if you looked it up it's Torah and I think the word Torah is better. Remember the Torah of my servant Moses the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. So think about this just in a moment. You know, we could take the point of view that we could say, well, this is talking to Jews. This isn't talking to Gentiles, which I reject that because we're in a faith that our the Messiah is Jewish. Uh, you know, uh, if you don't think we're in Israel, then I'm sorry uh, because that's where God is raising up his congregation. And so, you know, when it says for all of Israel, it's dealing with both those that are Jewish and those Gentiles that have come into the faith, because there's not but one faith. And we get clouds in that by, you know, Jesus started a new religion, you got Judaism, you got Christianity, and, you know, that, that makes us separate, and then we lose sight of what this is saying. I believe what it is saying is the idea behind the idea of remember the Torah of my servant Moses and he says, verse 5, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and ter- dreadful day of the Lord comes. All right? So so if if we hear that God has promised us that he's going to send us the prophet Elijah before the grateful day of the Lord come, have we seen Elijah? Has he come already? No. no. He hasn't. No? no? And uh so and I think this is one of these things that you have to remember in studying the Word of God who was the who was Elijah in Jesus' first coming? God. Right? And you can go read about it. He's <laughs> John. He, and John take a little credit over there. And uh uh and, and so When you read about it, and you go read, it's going to tell you that it's going to use this language right here, and he's going to be the one, and he's in the spirit of Elijah. So when they say, "Well, was John was John Elijah?" Well, we know he wasn't Elijah, right? But he was in the spirit of Elijah. So what's the spirit of Elijah? And you can go read it for yourself it says over there to turn the hearts of the children back to the father well if he's turning them back to the father what's he telling them to do repent.
1: huh
0: repent say repent repent well uh, that that's that's the turn right and do what <laughs> remember the torah he's telling them to go back to the Torah you know that's what he tell, and we're really being told that in the, in the in the gospels and in the letters we're not being told to you know move away from the word of God because really the Torah represents the word of God you know and so we all agree that we should be you know turning to the word we just got through saying that the problem with the church today is that they don't know anything about the Word of God, right? So, when we talk about the spirit of this, and here's the thing I was going to tell you earlier, I believe, this is, you know, based on the scriptures, I believe that in that tribulation period that's coming, there are going to be two that are going to be raised up, and they're not going to be. Oh, that was Moses, uh, you know, three thousand years ago, and that. I don't believe there'll be, they'll be two men and I think they will be in that spirit and they will be doing exactly those things and if you read about them the, the things that they these two witnesses that are called two witnesses do they tell you they do things that the old Moses and Elijah did but they won't be Moses and Elijah. How do I know that? How should you know that? (laughs) Because they did. Huh? They did. (laughs) Well, yeah, but eventually these two right here, what happens to them? They get killed. Huh? They They get killed. They die. Well, if we say, well, they're raised from the dead. Well, if they're raised from the dead, they can't die again. So they're not going to be the old Moses and Elijah. They're going to be just like John, but their message is going to resound with the same concept. Now, there are people who probably tell you, well, I know that's going to be, well, that's fine. But I'm telling you that they're going to lay dead in the street for three days.
1: That's one in Revelation you refer, John refers to. It, right? What? That's what John refers to in Revelation.
0: That's, that's right. Where they lay on the street. That's right. They're going to die. And then they're going to be raised up.
1: When they refer to Israel, is that with Judah? Have they come back together? You know well,
0: I think that term it does deal with the idea of once again and let me expound on what what i 'm doing okay. here and then yeah, I'll, yeah. I think that it 's the same theme okay in other words uh, if you look at if you look at what 's happened over all right let let's let 's presuppose this first. How many of y'all believe we're we're really close to the time of jesus 's return really if you really believe it <laughs> hand. I don't know anymore. John, <laughs> John's wavering. Come on, John, come on. So, well, I mean, you know, the truth is, and I understand what he, if he says that, I, I, I understand. Because of the fact there's always been something that seems like, oh, gee, we didn't see that. Or gee, you know, here we are, you know, this time is passed, and now we're here, And, you know, so another year goes by, and then it turns into five years. And for long, how long can you keep looking for him? Right? Before you kind of feel like, you know, as an old buddy of mine used to say, back to normal. (laughs) We're back to normal now. We're off that, you know. But, see, I believe part of what we see happening today in this actually started happening close to 50 years ago. I'm going into the no. She sure left that one in the other room. Fifty years ago, okay. And if you go back to about the year seventy, and 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 plus or minus in there, you're gonna if you go back, you're gonna start to see that there was a movement of God beginning where Gentile people were actually starting to go back to the Torah. And it wasn't long after that in the early uh, or mid-80s that you really had a strong Hebrew roots movement in the body of Christ taking place. And it, it was like a fire. And it burnt all the way around the world. And all of a sudden, look at it today. You can go on this YouTube and on this stuff and go to the store and there are all kinds of things now being written about You know, the fact that Gentiles are starting to keep the Sabbath, they're doing the festivals, they're, you know. So I believe that this spirit that was, you know, God sent forth, he sent forth as he began to prepare the people for what's coming. It wasn't going to catch them like a thief in the night. There were going to be those that began to realize. Now, the difficulty is, and I guess I say this for being in it 30 years. The difficulty is, is that when you get into this, like anything else, in even in what we call church, you end up. We got a hundred <laughs> different denominations now, and even in the Torah, mo- in the Hebrew roots movement, they have splintered. And there are those that took a hardline position that said, "Well, if you're not keeping Sabbath," you're really not a believer because you really don't believe what you because you're not doing it. If you're not doing these things, if you're not, you know, if you come to this place, you really hadn't come out of her. And they became to have their own, what I call hardline positions that they were harboring in their own mind about what is the real Torah movement. And they have their own, you know, And so now it's been so long, they're splintered, (laughs) you know, like the churches. You know, we got all these different denominations, and now they have splintered themselves. And I think that because people often ask me, and y'all been in here, and everybody wants to know, well, what should we do? What should we do? I think what you should do is, first of all, do what Jesus said. He gave us one commandment, right? Which is only fitting for the new command, uh, the new beginning that's taking place. What was the commandment he gave Adam? Half of the neighbors were seven. No, he, he didn't have no neighbors. Adam did. not <laughs> No, he, really, in Adam, you know, he's telling him, uh, you know, you can eat from all the trees no, of the no, field, okay. you know, or the garden but don't eat this from this one, you know, in a sense of the word. And that's kind of a cheat because he also said be fruitful and multiply. You know, but it wasn't a big body of stuff, right, that he had to go through, right? And so Jesus gives us one commandment, and it is, go ahead now, Jim. <laughs> To love one another. To love one another. That if we're not really allowing the love of God through the spirit to be our whole governing factor on what we do, then we're really already blinded to some of the things that we should be thinking and doing. You're not going to see, you know, the spirit of all of this. You know, you can't judge, you know, uh, another man You shouldn't want to judge another man for what he's not doing. You should just do what you feel God called you to do. And, you know, Bud Bud, Bud and me always have these things, you know. know, And I I made it easy, you know, because I learned a long time ago if I was ever going to build that sukkah, you know, that I had to find a way that I could do it that made it easy. So I was thinking about it, right? And so I made me a pipe, you know, out of PVC pipe. And I'll, you know, my first, one of my first times I did it like this, you know, I had to, oh, you know, Warren, let's make it 20 foot long and, you know, with huge suka, And sort of the wind blew it over and knocked it into a million pieces. And then I shortened it, you know, and got it down more where I could handle it. And Bo would call me and said, well, you build your suka, And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, yeah. That didn't build mine. You know, it goes and and I, I said, So? He says, Yeah, well, I guess you think. I said, No, I don't think that. You know, I just don't think God put it on your heart and for whatever reason to do it. And it doesn't mean He didn't, any, you know, it, it doesn't make you better because you did it. You know, it makes you, it, you know, as I, as I try to tell him, really everything that we're doing and, and in this whole thing is about really experiencing God. And if you, if you think that can help you experience God in a greater measure or teach your children, which I believe in all of the teaching the children stuff, because then they, you know, because I try to make them help me, you know. <laughs> in some years, that's turned into an argument. We had to go back to love. But, uh, you know, the whole concept is about doing, you know, and then uh, incorporating in, into your life, having a Seder. You know all of those things. You know, I just believe that you know that that God called me to do these things. You know, and I, I'm the, I'm I'm a terrible person. Lisa can vouch for that. But you I want a great
1: huh? savior. Huh? You did a great sailor. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So you know, but I, what I'm my my main point here is is that you know it's it, it, if you're not entering into even, you know, we can say, well, um, and it may be enough. I did it for a long time. When I studied Rosh Hashanah, I learned everything I could about Rosh Hashanah. I dug, and I, you know, when I was starting out, I, there were no computers. It was books. Yeah. It was encyclopedias. It was anything I could find Jewish that I could read and, and, and look at and go, oh, that's kind of interesting because that's kind of what we're doing. They're telling me over here. And they didn't even know it over there. And, and, you know, as you began the process of trying to link all this stuff together, it's a painful learning process. It just doesn't happen. So at some point in life, no matter what it is, whether it's building houses or, or cooking food, you have to start at some point and begin how to learn how to do it. And we don't do that because this is all extracurriculum. Up. Well,
1: and this year we put it up and did nothing else with it.
0: Yeah, put it up. I'll look it at it in know. the back, still up.
1: Yeah, I went out on the porch and I went, oh, that is still up.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and it may <laughs> stay up. The whole that's house. the lesson hey. in itself,
1: that life got busy and our focus was not on that. Yeah, And yet I've had years where it was that we just loved it. It was so, it was just moving and, you, you know, I felt so good with everything that we did and it was like couldn't wait to the next year. And this year he got the grandkids, he put it up and... I don't think I even so the there. grandkids talking about how to
0: build a sucker? No, they fought over, fought over the hammer. <laughs> but you know, the thing is, is that my little James, he's one of these kind of kids that says, Well, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And that's just an inroad for me to tell him, Well, and you know what I told him? Because God told us to. <laughs> Good answer. You know, we're. I can't tell you everything about why we're doing it. There's a lot of things that you could, but it's an opportunity for you to to share it. But it's not just that. You know, I I really do, and I know You know, uh, there's a lot of wacky, uh, cracky deals on, on all of this internet and prosperity doctrine, but I believe when you actually do the word of God that God blesses you. I think he made a promise that he said, if you do these things, I will bless you. And, and you know, we can tell, oh, that seems pretty prosperity-oriented. I said, well, look, I'm not looking to get the virus. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather be blessed, you know. but And I'm not going to put that upon him, you know. If he wants me to have it, I'll get it. But, you know, I, I do believe there is a blessing in, in all of it. But more than anything else, it's going to really teach you what we're learning here tonight. It's going to help you learn the the process. It's going to help you learn the so-called divine order of things. And you're going to experience it. And then when you start seeing things there that you're experiencing, it's going to become plain to you. I always say, well, we've been teaching this stuff for 30 years. And I can give a little test. And people still don't know nothing about it. They get lost. It's like it's too hard. It just... We don't need a test, do we? <laughs> well, anyway, you know, um, I think that, uh, you know, you got to bear in mind that uh, the the spirit of the Lord. And, and Jim, what were you re- referring to about what we were saying? I said that. Uh, what, were you, what were you talking about? Well, we
1: were talking about uh, Israel. You know, yeah, and, and of course we're studying Isaiah, yeah. and they you talk about Judah and Israel. So I guess my, my curiosity is when they talk about Israel here is Judah and Israel combined now. I mean, are they so they, so they the same or so are is the, is So
0: if you look at and, and you know to me this is the essence of uh, of the uh, you know going through the uh, the the idea behind oneness and all of this. You know, if you say. Israel, you could say Jesus. Because he actually represents all of Israel. You know, or you, and, and my point in this is that these prophecies that you're going to read in this Bible, whether it be Isaiah, Amos, or whatever, they are really for that time and day that those people were in. And yet when you read it, you go, well, wait a second, this it says in the latter day, you know. But the beauty of what I think you're seeing here is God so ordained history that He is able to take this portion of history and make it apply perfectly for these prophets for what they needed to hear that day. But he was building a foundation for that which would be in the future. And when you see that which is in the future, it's going to be like, well, gee, it's the same thing that happened then, but it's in greater light. And it's going to have a greater fulfillment than just back here at this time. So when we look at Judah and the northern kingdom, we can begin to see how, well, there's a division right now. You know, just like we're talking here, you got people that think that I can take take you to people that would tell you the Hebrew roots movement is, is a doctrine of the devil. And they're believers in Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's what they say, right? And they would tell you it's a doctrine of the devil. Well, you know, I always say it can't, somebody's got to be wrong and somebody's got to be right. I just think maybe he got a hold of a bad strain. <laughs> And, and and for him, it may have been a, a doctrine of the devil in his own mind. Like when we first started a long time ago, there was a gentleman that, you know, when we were talking about the festivals and the various things, he just said that he felt like he couldn't do this and listen to this kind of stuff, that he didn't want to give up his grace. That's how he saw it. And he left. <clears throat> well, you know, we just said, you didn't stick around long enough. We had plenty of grace to give you, you know. But, um... You know, uh, when you look at these things, you've got to realize, you know, I called my son out of Egypt. You go to the verse in the Bible, and it's talking about Israel. But yet, it's being quoted for Jesus Christ being called out of uh, Egypt. So, you know, there's a double fulfillment. They cannot. There can be a, a triple fulfillment. God is not limited in his word when he gives it to that time for it not, I believe, building a case for the end times. It's all going to come down here to the end, and a lot of these stories that we've been reading about are going to have an impact in the end of days in a way that we've never probably could have possibly imagined. But, you know, when it comes clear, then it will be, so... so. Anyway, um, you know, let's, um, let's go over to 1 Corinthians 15 and look at uh, what I call another clouded issue. 1 Corinthians 15. I've gotta find what the clouded issue was. <laughs> mm. Okay, uh let's go and I uh, over to uh verse uh fifty. Okay. Fifty one to be exact. And we know this verse by heart, I would think, which is stating, listen, (laughs) I tell you a mystery. Now, see, to me, the language there is Jewish because in a rabbinical language, the word mystery is sa'od, and it's not a mystery like "Mm, it's mysterious. It was something that was hidden, but it was there all along. That's important. And you go back in, even like Jim in Isaiah 26, you know, it talks about a resurrection. Because there were those that were saying that, eh, you know, tomorrow we die. Maybe there's not a resurrection. Even in the Jewish community, the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. So, you know, resurrection even was a dividing doctrine within Judaism in the first century. But he goes on to say... Uh, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be all changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, and, and, and so forth and so on, you know. Uh, you know, we all read this right here, and we we all say that when we are uh, uh, changed, it's going to happen real fast, right? Twinkling of an eye, you know, then Christ will rise first, and then those left alive will be caught up in the air. And if we're alive, <laughs> me and Bud have had many conversations about this, that, you know, what will people because this is kind of one of the hard things about what I call the, the so-called rapture theory, and that is is that we all want to believe there's quite a few people on the planet that believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is Lord, and they're counted among the righteous, wouldn't you say? I mean, I don't know what the number is, but I imagine it's a large number. But at the same time, if you have the... Because, see, this gets into... Where in, where in this timeline is this going to happen, right? So if so we get over, <laughs> that doesn't want to work at all. Can't raise that because it's spiritual. But uh, <laughs> if you go in here and you take the timeline and we say the seven years, you know, you've got the different camps that are going to say, and you can go to the verses that, well, this is when it all happened. This is the resurrection here. And that's when the second coming of Christ is. You know, you can go over and easily read Revelation 19 and (laughs) here he comes on a white horse, you know, that's not his brother, that's him, right? And so, you know, uh, so, and if you're a proponent of, oh, we're not appointed to wrath, then, you know, you're you're talking in this time frame that this is going to take place. In a twinkling of an eye, in other words, extremely fast. So if, if, the, if this is a real doctrine that's to be taught, then what are the people that are left here, what's going to be the impact of this on society and as a whole and the people? What are they going to find? Oh, you know, it's the, old, it's the old idea of this. They're not even around. They're gone. Plane driving out of the sky, you know. Or we, you know, we got all this stuff, and, and, we, and you know. So, how does that? If there's that many people, how does that impact society? Or those that are left behind, as the old series was right. And 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 how about this? In light of the uh, coronavirus and all of this stuff, stay in your houses, you know, so forth and so on. And then the day comes for whatever reason. And they find you dead. There's your body. You ever thought about that? That those that actually were left, they, well, they're, they all died. We don't know why, but they're dead because they can see your body's dead. Have you ever thought about the fact what's going to happen to your body if you truly are raptured? Are you just going up in your spirit and you're taking your body? That ain't going to happen because what did it say right there? Really, it says flesh and blood is not going to inherit king, the kingdom of God. So you can't take this body with you.
1: So your soul is...
0: Just your spirit. Yeah, but works. when he comes, he's going to bring forth a new body. You know, those that are dead, they're going to have a new body that is raised up. Only believers. I, just, I, don't, get, I
1: don't understand how that works. Not that I do. The
0: left behind movie made it sound like everybody just kind of disappeared. That's right. They just they made it just like, you know, well it's like right now if the rapture happens and they come up here to MR2 or whatever it is. They just checked on
1: us.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're kicking us out already. Uh, And 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 they come up here, they're not there. Right. Versus they're all dead. (laughs) Think about it. It's something to think about. What you Yeah. If I, if I understand what
1: you're saying the dead are going to have a new body
0: that's right but
1: we who are alive
0: are also to going to have to get a new body right
1: I don't think we can come up with how that works that's just going to be one of those supernatural flesh and blood yeah. cannot
0: inherit the kingdom of God we're going to be changed he said that's right
1: All changed. be changed." so
0: what's going to happen to that shell It ain't going. That's what I'm telling you. Where's
1: Jesus' body? Where's his body? After he died,
0: where's his body?
1: Well, he's got a heavenly up.
0: Well, yeah, well, (laughs) he's got a... Well, uh, his body never saw decay. That's right. But, but... What happened to it? But when Mary comes into the garden, she doesn't recognize him. Right. So he's got what? Because he's got a new body. But he, it, it's, he's been changed.
1: Yep.
0: You know, and I always he's tell... No more,
1: he's no more flesh and blood. He just...
0: He's spirit. 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 He that's spirit. right. But what you're really getting at, what you're really getting at is what happened to his physical body. Yes. And it, it, was, it that's wasn't there. Question. No, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. That that, that That's a good point. Yep. I mean, because something it has to the happen. The
1: fruits of that change.
0: This change. But none of us want to take this body, do we? (laughs) Not this body. You know, we got to remember Jesus was about thirty-three. You know, he was still fit. You know, you know, but.